Good morning. God's word to us this morning comes from Mark, beginning the first chapter in the 21st verse. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by the demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. Thank you, John. Good morning. Welcome to Grace. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for choosing to worship with us here this morning. Um, We have just begun this fall a study in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, One of the unique things about the author, Mark, is that he writes, um, it's very punctual, it's very abbreviated. John tends to talk a lot about what exactly Jesus said, Uh, Matthew, Mark, there's a lot of Jesus teaching what Jesus said interspersed throughout their, their records of Jesus' life and teaching. With Mark, it's not so much what Jesus said, but it's what he did. It's what he did. Uh, Mark shows us who Jesus is by what he does. And the goal of this series, and particularly this message, and each message thereafter, is to present to you the record here in Mark And for you and I to see who Jesus is according to what he has done so that you and I might, first of all, come to know him. Okay, first of all, come to know who he is. But secondly, to fall in love with him. And you can't fall in love with someone until you begin to know that someone. Now, I I know all of you have some knowledge of who Jesus is. You live in Western civilization. You know the name of Jesus has something to do with Christmas and Easter, right? But who is he? what kind of authority does he have? What kind of character does he have? How does he, how does he view you? How does he view me? That's, that's what we want to study, Mark, to find out, to, to know who he is and to come to love him. I also want to let you know that as we're going through this series, uh, like today, some of the scripture that John read, we'll, we'll focus in on. Uh, some of the scripture that is, uh, is, is listed that I'll allude to, we won't go into ter- too much detail, just a segment of it. And some of you are like, oh, I wish we would have gone deeper on this particular story. 
Well, that's why we have the Mark Study Guide, and you can go deeper, but you don't have to be spoon-fed on a Sunday morning. So I want to encourage you to pick one of these Mark Study Guides up. If you have not already, you can do that in uh, the back office. There are plenty of those printed uh, for you. They correspond with what we're going through in the sermon, but you'll actually go through the text the week before you hear it preached. So the first time you hear it, won't be from me. It'll be from you digging into the word. So here's what we're going to look at this morning. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? The the scripture that John read, you notice that the reaction in the synagogue was, who is this? This is a new teaching. They called it a new teaching and it has authority. So there's something about Jesus that's different from what they're used to. Something about Jesus is different from what they're used to. So three things we're going to look at this morning. The context and the overview of, of the passage that we're going to look at. So we're going to have it at like a 10,000 foot level. And then we're going to dive in specifically to where the, the individuals in the synagogue, as they're listening to Jesus teach and then watch him cast out a demon, how they respond to what they heard and what they saw. They saw a new teaching with authority. So what we're going to see, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a look at, well, what is the old teaching? That is what they expected from religion. What they were used to every time they rolled in the synagogue or what you're used to every time you come to church. So what their characterization of, the, of, of religion is, but then we're going to look at the new teaching. What did they actually experience when Jesus came to their city? and came to their synagogue, and taught, and healed, and cast out demons. That's what we're going to look at. Comparing the old and the new. The old and the new. So please open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, and let's entreat the Lord to bless our time this morning. Father, we come to you because we need you, Jesus. Apart from you, we can do nothing, including even understand what you have to say to us in your word. So Spirit, guide us in truth this morning. Help me to preach and teach in the power of the Spirit, saying exactly and only what you want me to say and nothing else. And Father, I pray that you would touch our hearts through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of your word, and we pray that Christ would be lifted up, that he would be exalted, that we would come to know him more or for some, even come to know him for the first time and come to love him more. Uh, Father, we pray that you would do this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, first of all, context and overview. Uh, Jesus comes into the scene. We ended with this verse last week. Jesus comes into, after John the Baptist is arrested, he comes on the scene. He begins to preach, saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here, it's now, so repent. Repent and believe the good news. Believe the gospel. So he comes announcing that a kingdom has come. If you remember last week, John the Baptist was preparing everyone for that, saying, you all need to repent because the Messiah is coming. The kingdom is coming. It's close. It's at hand. Well, it's here now. It's here. And Jesus has announced that. And he says to repent and believe the good news of the gospel. It's here. It's now. So that's the announcing of the kingdom. Now, after the announcing of the kingdom, and actually simultaneously, he begins to call followers to himself. These are referred to as disciples. We looked at this a couple weeks before we started the Mark series, where he calls Peter, he calls John, he calls James, he calls Andrew, and he says, follow me 
and I'll make you fishers of men. What's that about? It's about the fact that as Jesus comes to establish his kingdom, he doesn't just come to forgive people of their sins. He calls us, his followers, to go advance the very kingdom he came to initiate. So we are participants. We are not only citizens of the kingdom, we are ambassadors to the king. And that's what a disciple is. So that's stuff we've covered in the last uh, three to four weeks. And, and that sets up the context. So he's announced the coming of the kingdom. He's called specific individuals to follow him and also advance that kingdom. And now he shows up in Capernaum and he establishes God's kingdom. He begins to establish this kingdom rule. He does this by preaching. He does this by teaching. He does this by healing. He does this by confronting unclean or evil spirits, casting out demons, if you will. Uh, More on that when we get to Mark chapter 5. I know that the mere fact that we're even acknowledging such a thing causes some people to kind of like, what is this about? This is so weird. This is so strange. Uh, we'll, we'll get into, we'll start to scratch the surface of that the, this morning, but when we get into Mark chapter 5, we'll go a little bit deeper there. So this is about establishing the kingdom. So let's jump in here and look at, this, look at the scripture. And they went to Capernaum. Capernaum is a city on the Sea of Galilee. It's in the northern part of Israel. Go to Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, this is one of Mark's favorite words, immediately. He says it over and over and over again. Immediately, Jesus did this. And immediately, Jesus did that. The point is, Mark 1, every time he says immediately, whatever follows is very important. Very important. So what does Jesus do? And immediately, on the Sabbath. Now, what's the Sabbath day? Sabbath day is a day of rest. God spent six days creating, and then on the seventh day, he rested. And man is called to rest and find our rest, find our peace in him. So this is significant. What are we created to do? We are created to rest and find our identity in God. So on the first day of Jesus' public ministry, what's he do? On the Sabbath, the day when everyone is supposed to be at peace and be at rest and acknowledging who they are in the relationship with God, he shows up and finds unrest. That's what's going on. But he's establishing his kingdom, which is all about people entering that rest. So he enters the Sabbath and he, on the synagogue, enters the Sabbath. He, on the Sabbath, he enters the synagogue and was teaching. Verse 22, and they were astonished. The word can be translated, they marveled. They were blown away, if you will, by his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. They're not used to what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying carries with it a punch, an authority. I, I know you've, if you've been to Grace, you know that I have a tendency to get super animated, super intense, sometimes a little shrill, sometimes a little out of control with my emotions, and I get really, really loud. That's not what they're talking about. That's just me being emotionally unstable. That's not, that is not, that is not what they're observing. What they're observing is someone who carries, carries a sense of like, it's not just what I'm teaching, it's me. I'm not, I'm not talking about me. It's, this is Jesus. He, he comes with authority. This isn't just passionate preaching. This is authoritative, as, as if 
something about this has to do with his personhood. When I preach, it's not about me. I'm pointing you to the scriptures and, and Christ. But Jesus is different. He's making this all about himself, which we'll look at in depth next week. His teaching carries with it personal authority. He's the authority. And these people are listening and they're like, this is different. The scribes show up and they say, Rabbi such and such says this about this passage. And here's what this means. And they're like, yeah, I've had Sunday school or Sabbath school. I've been hearing that for the last 30, 40 years. When Jesus shows up, he says, he opens the same Old Testament. He opens up the scroll of Isaiah in chapter 61. He reads it and he says, ah, this is fulfilled in me. They're just, they don't know what to do with that. They don't know what to do with that. And immediately, there it is again, and immediately, right after he starts to teach and he starts to, his, his authority starts to bubble up and they're like, okay, this guy, this dude's different. He's, he's, he's making it about himself immediately. That, that's intentional. Mark wants you to notice. Right after the announcement of who Jesus is and his authority, immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Let's just pause for a second and address the whole idea of an unclean spirit. Some of you might be a little bit skeptical or like, see, this is why I can't take you people seriously. You people being followers of Christ. You know, demons, the unclean spirits, Jesus, Beelzebub, whatever. It's like, that's just, that's just too much. I can't, I can't believe in an unseen realm. You might classify yourself as a, a rational empiricist. That is, you only believe, or and, and if maybe not you, certainly those who are not here this morning, you know, if you went to work tomorrow morning at the water cooler, and somebody says, what'd you do this weekend? Well, I, I watched the uh, Iowa State game. Oh, awesome. What'd you do on Sunday? I went to church. Church. What'd you talk about? Demons, unclean spirits. You, it's immediately, you're like, I'm, I'm super, I don't know what to do. I, I'm embarrassed now. And, they, and they're embarrassed for you. Why? Because everybody knows that that's all a bunch of hocus pocus and it's a bunch of nonsense. The only thing that exists in this world is that which we can see, that's what we can touch, that's what we can taste, that's what we can measure. That's an empirical, empirical rationalist. Really? Let's just analyze something that you can't see, you can't touch, and you can't taste. How many of you are somewhat familiar or at least vaguely familiar with what physicists and astrophysicists refer to as dark matter? Any of you? Have you heard of dark matter? Okay, dark matter is said by astrophysicists and physicists and so forth to make up 80 to 85% of the universe. But here's the thing. You can't see it. You can't touch it. And you can't measure it. We only know it's there because if it weren't there, the planets and the galaxies wouldn't behave the way they behave. So its existence is based upon inference of what, in other words, it has to be there because otherwise the universe wouldn't work. Do you, do you see the problem with this? Do you see the inconsistency? Our culture allows for the unseen to exist when it has nothing to do with who rules our hearts. But when we're talking about the unseen spiritual realm, now all of a sudden we're skeptical. Well, here's the deal. The unseen realm is not a new thing. The unseen realm is simply the existence of spiritual beings 
which are not like us. Spiritual beings which are not like us. I could go on and on and, and, and I'm going to stop. I'll get a little more, again, more on October 8th when we go to Mark chapter 5. And you can read ahead and see what's going on there. So we're going to come back to that. But what, what, what Jesus is, is noticing and what everyone is, is seeing, now what's he come to do? He's come to establish a what? A kingdom. What does Jesus encounter on day one in the synagogue? A rival kingdom. He's, his teaching is different. Why? Because there's authority. He meets immediately a man with an unclean spirit that represents a complete rival kingdom. There is the kingdom of God, and then there is the kingdom of this world. And who is the ruler of this world? The prince of the power of the air. See Genesis 3. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll cover this. Okay, let's keep rolling here. But Jesus rebuked him, say, being silent, and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him, and they were all amazed. So that they questioned amongst themselves, saying, what is this? This new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Okay, first of all, he encounters a rival kingdom in the synagogue. Day one of his public ministry, first thing out of the gate, encounters a demon possession, rival kingdom, the king, a different kingdom. Okay, the origins of this kingdom. Originally, God created human beings in his image to have dominion or to rule over creation, to, to take Eden and make it essentially the whole earth, to make it flourish, to, to, to reproduce, to multiply, to fill the earth with people, other image bearers which by their actions and by their worship and by everything they did, they ascribed glory and worth to God. And that's, that was his kingdom reign, his rule. And these, uncru- these unseen spiritual forces, which, which are called the heavenly hosts in the Old Testament, they too were created for the very same purpose, to bear his image and to serve him in the world and in the universe. And, and whether things unseen or things seen, everything is created for the glory of God. Well, Genesis 3 one of those spiritual beings in the form of a serpent approaches Eve and Adam and they are tempted away to establish their own rival kingdom. The only reason that God doesn't want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because he knows, Eve, that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Take it, eat, see that it's good for wisdom. Once you take it and eat it, then you will have the wisdom to be able to set your own agenda and you won't have to rely on dad anymore. You can establish your own kingdom and you can be your own queen and your own king. And that's the beginning of the rival kingdom. And that's rebellion. And that's where sin and death enter the world. And what we're seeing here in Mark chapter 1 is Jesus confronting a representative of the very spirit that led our ancestors into rebellion, where this whole rival kingdom started. And this is a king, and he's come to establish his kingdom rule. So it's only appropriate that he approach and confront those who are in opposition to his kingdom. 
All right, so that's what's going on. That's what's going on. And what we have here is an observation by those who are witnessing this. What is this? A new teaching with authority. Now, we're going to spend the rest of the time this morning contrasting what they're used to, and probably, I'm going to step out on a limb here, probably what most of you think of when you think of Christianity or religion in general. Okay, the old teaching. We're going to compare the old teaching with what they are actually experiencing. Here's the old teaching. Old teaching is characterized by Exodus, or Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 and 16. This is God had to deliver them from an oppressor, from a kingdom, the kingdom of Egypt. So he confronts Pharaoh through Moses and, you know, the story and let my people go and the 10 plagues and the, the Passover and the, and the splitting of the sea. And now they're, now they're, they're following God in the wilderness and, and they're getting ready to go back into the promised land after 40 years of wilderness. And so here's what God says to them. He says, see, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord, your God, that I commanded you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering. Uh, verse 17, but if you disobey, may all the curses that are in this book be added unto you. So here, here it is. Obey, do good, be good, be clean, walk with God. Everything's awesome. If you disobey, turn away, worship other gods, go after your own way, then you will experience discord, strife, and all the plagues of this book will be added unto you. That's what they're used to. That's religion. Here's religion. Be clean, be good, walk with God, be blessed. Be dirty, be naughty, Walk away, get a spanking. Okay, that's what they're used to. That's moralistic teaching. By the way, that's good and that's true. That's good and that's true. But what's the problem with that? What's the problem with the old, the old teaching? What's the problem with what they're used to when Jesus shows up on the scene and walks into their synagogue for the first time? What's the problem with that? It's true. It's good, but there's a problem. The psalmist puts it this way, who shall ascend the holy hill, the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in the ho his holy place? He answers his question. He who has a clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. The problem with the old is this. None of us have clean hands and none of us have a pure heart. It, it's not that we don't acknowledge that and, and aspire to change. It's not that you don't look in the mirror and say, you know what, my heart is unclean and my hands are dirty. I, it's not that you don't repent all the time, but, but you, you wash your hands. You're like Lady Macbeth, damn spot, come out. Some of you are like, what is he talking about? <laughs> it's Shakespeare. She murdered her husband. She couldn't get the blood off her hands. And she was always washing her hands. So we go to church and we, we go to Sunday school and you pray the prayers and you do all the right things, but the damn spot will come out. And you just can't get clean and you keep screwing up over and over again. You keep hurting those you love. 
You keep disappointing yourself, and you're pretty sure that if God was right now with you, he'd thump you on the head. And you, you don't know what to do. You know you ought to be better, but you're not. And you read Psalm 24, 3, and it's like, well, that's not encouraging. Who can ascend the holy hill? Only he who has clean hands and a pure heart. And you know, I have neither. So what do I do? Go to church? Get clean? Obey and I'll be blessed? Disobey and I'll be cursed? I've already blown it. And I'm pretty sure I've already blown it, and tomorrow I'm going to blow it again. That doesn't encourage me. That's the problem with the old. It, it's true. There's, it's right. It's good. It's holy. But it's problematic. The problem with the old, Ephesians 2, linking this with the kingdom, not the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of this world. Paul puts it this way. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirits that now is at work of the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What's he saying? From the moment our ancestors took that fruit and declared themselves independent of God, every human being that's ever been born except Jesus has had dirty hands and a dirty heart. And our very nature is to submit ourselves to the unseen principalities and rulers of this world which are in rebellion to God. We don't even know it. We laugh at it and we giggle at those silly primitive Christians who believe in the unseen realm. Tee hee, tee hee, they're so naive. How do you explain the evil in the world? How do you explain the evil in the world if you don't account for the unseen realm? You say, well, that's just the way people are. It's, you know, it's a product of evolution. Okay, if you're going to go that route, then you can't call things evil. Because when the strong eat the weak, it's not evil. It's just the way it is. You, you can't have it both ways. Either there is a God and he's absolute and he is holy... And there is sin in the world, which is rebellion against him. And there's principalities and authorities where there's not. And in which case, if there's not, do what you want. It doesn't matter. There is no good. There is no bad. It just is. Jesus is saying, no, that's not the way it is. Paul is saying, no, that's not the way it is. There is a, there, this, is, this is who we are. And this is why we can't ascend this hill. This is why the old way doesn't empower us. It tells us that there is a good way. It tells us that there is a good God. And it tells us that we are not him. And it tells us that he wants, he wants purity. He wants righteousness. He wants holiness. But that's my heart. And that's your heart apart from Christ. That's the old. And that's the problem. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're in bondage. We have no ability. We're by nature objects of wrath. We're by nature children of disobedience. We follow the enemy, and we don't even know we're following the enemy. And that's why Jesus, when he walks into the synagogue on the Sabbath, immediately encounters a rival authority and a rival kingdom. So that's the problem. But there's a new teaching. What is this new teaching with authority? What's going on with that? Jesus rebuked him, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him and they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, 
What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding regions. Where's this authority? What is this authority? Paul sums it up in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. He being Jesus, he's the image of the invisible God. You and I bear his image. We are not the image of the invisible God. To have his image is not the same thing as being his image. Do you understand the difference? He bears his image. He is his image. For by him all things were created. Now catch this. What things? All things. But what all things are all things that are we talking about here? Things in heaven. Things on earth. Things visible. Things invisible. Dark matter. Quarks. Angels. Demons. Things you can't see. But you infer their existence because you see what they cause. Thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things. doesn't matter. If it exists, he created it for his good and for his glory. That doesn't mean currently everything in the universe is in obedience to him and acting for his good and for his glory. But that's the purpose for which by they were created. Everything was created by Christ. For Christ. That's why he has this authority. It's all his. You're his. I'm his. The principalities are his. The man in the synagogue, possessed by an unclean spirit, is his. The Pharisees watching, saying, who is this who has all this authority? They're his. He's the king. The king has come. The king has come, and he's come to establish his kingdom. Come to establish his kingdom. Goes on from there. We have in verse 29 through 34, he goes into Peter's mother-in-law's home and she's sick with a fever and he, he raises her and everybody's like, he's healing everybody. And so everybody's like, he's healing everybody. And everybody that is, you know, they, 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 brag their, they drag their crippled friends. We'll see this next week in, in Mark chapter two. Anybody that's, that's got seized with madness or epilepsy or, or flat out demon possession, everybody starts to come to him. And everybody starts to be healed. The sick, demon-possessed are healed. And then in chapter 1, verse 40 through 45, just turn there real quick. I won't show this scripture here, but I, I want you to look at it here. A leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling, said, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. He touched him. He touched someone who's unclean and who by definition, if you touch someone who is unclean, you yourself become unclean. Jesus touches a leper. That's a no-no. Because when you touch something that's unclean, you by definition become unclean. And he says, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's undoing the effects of the fall. Everything that ushered in in Genesis chapter 3, sin, death, the curse, the fall, rebellion, this, this guy shows up and starts undoing all of it. 
All of it. See, the old teaching says this to the leper. Says this to the unclean. Get yourself clean and then we'll talk. In the Old Testament, this is what the Old Testament says to the leper. When you become clean, go and show yourself to the priest, and then you can come into the presence of God. How does a leper get clean? How does an unrighteous person become righteous? How does a loser become a winner? How? See, the old teaching says, clean up your act and then walk with God. That's not even possible. And you, you know what? And you know it because you've tried. You say, I, I've tried. I tried to, tried to clean up my act. I tried to stop doing this and start doing this, whatever this is. You, you were successful for about 30 seconds or maybe a couple years and then it all came back. That's, that's the old. That's the old. Live and obey. Obey and live. But Jesus comes along and he doesn't say, get yourself clean and follow me. He says, come to me and I'll make you clean. Do you understand the difference? Jesus is not offering you religion. Jesus is not telling you, you know, if you could just stop being a jerk, if you could just stop being proud, if you could just stop being full of lust, if you could just stop being materialistic, if you could just stop being filled with rage, if you could just stop being a drunk, if you could just stop being addicted to porn, if you could just stop all those things, then I would love you and then I would come in and then I would make everything right. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is if you come to me, and you walk with me, I will touch you, and I will give you a new heart, and I will make you clean. That's the gospel. That's the power of the kingdom of God. And that's his promise to you. And, and their response who is this guy? Yes, exactly. Who is this guy? He has a name. His name is Jesus. The name that is above every name. He has a mission to set you free from sin and death. And he has authority. He doesn't just tell you to start being better. He says, I will make you clean. And you and I have a choice. And that choice is to repent and believe. To repent, this was last week, it means this. Acknowledge the areas of your life where you and I are not recognizing Jesus' authority. That's a pretty broad category. Allow the Holy Spirit to show you the areas of your life. And, and you know what? Because God is merciful, he doesn't show you all the areas all at once because you'd just be overwhelmed. For the age of 21, when I first met Jesus, if he said, here's all the things I want you to repent of, I would have dropped over dead instantly. It, it's, it, no, he says, just, it's, he doesn't tell you that. He says, 
Walk with me, I'll make you clean. And he'll show you moment by moment what it is that he wants you to acknowledge that, ah, you know what, I've not given you authority in that area. Well, give it to him because he's the king. That's what repentance is. But But you can't repent apart from the good news. And here's the good news. You don't have to be right before you follow. That's the gospel. You see, that, that's the new teaching with authority. He doesn't tell the leper to get clean and then come see me. He doesn't tell the demon possessed to get rid of the demon and then come see me. He tells the demon to leave and he makes the leper clean. And that's what you need to do is trust him that he will make good on his promise. He said, well, Brooks, will I still battle with sin? If you're not, you're dead. So yes. And that's why you keep on with the gospel and you keep following because he's the one who makes you clean. That's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. He's the most beautiful individual I've ever met. And he wants to set you free. Repent and believe, trust him. If you come to him with your sin and with your misery, he's not going to backhand you. He's not going to yell at you. He's not going to do what some people do with their dogs and rub your nose in your poop. He is gentle and lowly in heart. He will lift you. He will carry you. He will cleanse you. He will empower you. And he will set you free. And you will be his beloved adopted child. That's who this guy is. That has all this authority. Our part is to follow. And to trust. And believe. I want to encourage you to take the next step, whatever that next step might be. For some of you, it's to trust Christ as your Savior. For others, it's to get plugged in. For others, you have prayer requests. Let us know what those prayer requests are. You can go to the QR code here or graceb3.org slash next. Let us know how we can pray for you, and we would love to pray for you. As always, at the end of the service, as I close, there'll be people up front to pray with you. If you'd like to, like to pray or be prayed for, let's close. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for being, for being God and for loving us and descending at our level, for taking on humanity, taking on our sins, and for promising to make us clean, for promising to adopt us into your family. Give us the faith to believe, the faith to repent, the faith to walk with you and to trust you. Lord Jesus, we worship you because you're worthy of that worship. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless, go in grace. We'll see you next week.